You know the story, or do you know the story? What if all the things you thought about, you knew about Christmas, was not completely how it all unfolded? An unexpected pregnancy, a teenage wedding, a small town scandal, the reputation of Nazareth, the early death of a father, attempted murder, do those sound like the chapters of the nice little story that most of us know about? Our goal through this whole series has been to look at Christmas in such a way that his story touches our story, even though it's 2,000 years in the past. So far, we've met the parents, Mary and Joseph, met the angels. Uh, next week, in the morning service, we'll meet the wise men at the 10 a.m. service, and then we'll meet the baby, the Savior, at the 4.30 candle lighting service. These are exciting times as we try to figure out how his story interacts with our story. Now today, we look at the shepherds, and we take a look at their story and see what was going on. Last week, we started a little clip, and this morning, uh, we'll finish it. There you are. Got the coffees. Land of Goshen, that line was long. <laughs> All right, cup of coffees. Tobias, here's yours with extra goat milk. Had to smell that the whole way here. Thank you so much. And I have a juniper tea. Which one of you guys had the juniper tea with two extra shots of honey, huh? You look like the juniper. And an extra large boba tea for me, because I made the run. And it's all gone. Ira, if you will. Guys, where's all the sheep? Sheep, come back. No, thank you. We're not making this up. Oh, you're not making this up? Oh, golly gee, then, Eamon. Then maybe I will believe that, what, a gaggle of angels came down? Technically, they're called heavenly hosts. We're leaving the sheep. Bathsheba! Bathsheba! The angels told us where to find the Messiah. Figures. Figures. Figures the angels would tell you and not me. You want to know why? Because I am always, 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 always left out of things. I am left out every time. That's not true. It is so true. How about the time that I stayed back and I watched the sheep while you all went to go chase those wolves for that farmer? And what did you get in return? A year's worth of free olive oil! You guys remember that olive oil? Remember when we put them on those crackers? Oh. <laughs> How about the time that my best friend forgot to tell me about Tobias's surprise birthday dinner for some strange oversight of, oh, forgetting that I exist? I am left out of everything, so why shouldn't I be left out of this? The Messiah. I guess he's just leaving me out, too. Get off me! Stop it! Not the face! Leave me alone! Stop! Say! Stop! Do stop! 
Come here. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you missed out on so much. That's on us. But today, in the town of David, the Savior was born to, to us. All of us. I can't let you miss out on that. Well, better not keep that baby waiting. Idea? Pit stop for more boba teas on the way? <laughs> not a chance. Now that was a little silly, but the feeling of being left out, always left out, isn't really silly to any of us. All of us have experienced that, whether we're a Christ follower or whether we're not. We've all experienced those feelings when we've been forgotten, uh, we're not included, and it hurts deeply. And often we kind of live with that hurt internally, and those around us don't even know about it. But it's hard to, to feel that way. And yet we're going to see, as was depicted in those skit guys skit, that that isn't the case when it comes to the birth of the Savior. None of us are to be left out. All of us are included. All of us are welcome. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to unpack that and see how that our lives can integrate with that. Uh, if you've never said yes to Christ, if you're here because someone brought you here with the promise of a great Sunday lunch afterwards, that's great. But I hope that being here, you would see that God's intent, Christ's intent, was that none are left out. Everyone is included. And you can be as in as you want to be. So for those of us who have said yes to Christ, our question is how included, how into it do we want to be? Because Christ never forces himself on us. So we're going to read through the story we just uh, saw. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Page 6692 in that rack Bible you might find around you. If you don't have a paper copy of the Bible and you would like one, please feel free to take that rack Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, for those of you uh, who have electronic devices, which is probably most of you, uh, Uversion is a great tool, a great way to have the Bible with you wherever you go. So we're going to begin in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Great story, but not the cutesy-wootsy story we always hear. There's much more to it when you think about these shepherds. I don't know about you, and there's nothing, I guess, necessarily wrong with this, but uh, you ever seen these, like, precious moments, little shepherds? That's not what a real shepherd looks like. When Cindy and I got married, we got lots of precious moments stuff. <laughs> They're packed away everywhere go into a box, and they just start falling out everywhere. Not, not what shepherds were like in Jesus' day. You see, shepherds were not considered noble people. It was the lowest job for you to have. No one came home and announced to the family, hey, I'm a shepherd, look at my job. No one did. Even when shepherds were taken into a court case, there had to be somebody else to back up their testimony. Not in the case of other people, but when it came to a shepherd, that's the way it was. They were considered dishonest, sneaky, marginalized, a lack of education, um, unclean often. They couldn't go to uh, worship because they were unclean. They were dirty. They were just not the, the, the people you wanted to be around or associate with. So not a precious moment, shepherd. Yet we're going to find that these shepherds in some way are Jesus's favorites. The news comes to them first. And no matter where you are in your life, you should take encouragement from that that the angels announced to the shepherds. They didn't go to Rome, the capital of the world at the time, and announce it to the Caesar. They didn't even go to Herod's castle, his, his palace, and announce it there. They didn't go to the temple where the religious leaders were, the, the Pharisees, and announce it there. They went to the shepherds. Lowest shelf to go to. 
that should encourage us because no matter where you and I are at, the good news that those angels proclaim to the shepherds are for us. Now, we may be sitting in this room and we clean up pretty nice on a Sunday, or maybe not so nice. Depends who you are. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because we can clean up on the outside and still be in a really bad place on the inside. And that good news comes to all of us. All of us. And so we will see that there are parts of the shepherds that reflect us. And we discover that um, we are Jesus favorites also you see that jesus favors the poor sometimes you hear the least of these because the shepherds were poor and that's who the message goes to we can look around and sometimes we see people really really struggling and uh when we're not struggling we make their struggle a character thing rather than a struggle thing. That's, that's not right. That's not right. Sometimes we, even though we wouldn't say this out loud, think if God is blessing someone, if someone's financially being blessed or doing well, God must be blessing them. And for the person that does not have their finances in order or have lots of finances, God, they must be that must be reflecting God's pleasure towards them. Absolutely not true. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Mary and Joseph, and when they went to the temple and they were so poor that they sacrificed pigeons, doves. And there was a clause that if you couldn't swing a lamb, it was okay, but you had to prove that. It was a humbling thing to say, hey, we can't do a lamb, but we can do two pigeons. So Jesus favors the poor. And you can apply that uh, to other things where we consider that somebody's downcast, somebody's on the outs, the least of these. And this morning, you know, if you're in a place where you're struggling financially as a church family, um, as a church, we, we want to be able to come alongside and help in the places where we can. That's why regularly there's this uh, thing called the love offering, because we want to help you. We want to, when you have medical bills or, uh, you know, heating or rent or mortgage or whatever, uh, we, we want to be there for you. We want to demonstrate that, that love. We read in James, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out your glorious Christ originated faith. And if you follow the context there, you're going to see that this is the whole idea of how you treat those who appear to be less fortunate than you. I'm not going to make lots of statements about this, but if you go to the Older Testament, you're going to see passages, little verses here along the way that reflect how you're to interact with an alien, with an immigrant, with someone who is not Jewish, not the people of Israel. 
And it's not to shame them. It's not to take advantage of them. It's to be kind to them. Sometimes we think that's only a Newer Testament principle, different than the Older Testament. But if you read through the whole Bible, if you read in the Older Testament, you're going to see how we're to treat people. And that's is very complicated in our country. And I don't want to get into the policies and politics because some of us can be so polarized by that, it causes us to detract I know sometimes when I'm driving through a circle and someone is looking for a handout, the first thing that comes to all my mind when I'm in my car is, oh, this is a scam, this is a thing, because I do not want to have to be touched by my per their perceived need. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes when it comes to the crisis at the border, we want to look at how illegal they are so we can remove ourselves from caring for them. It's not right. Don't say there's an easy answer to all of this, but just writing somebody off because it's not right is not right. Because if it was right, then all of us in this room would be written off for some reason. So, Jesus favors the poor. Verse 1, and a different translation says, My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say we have faith in him and yet we favor one group of people above another? Jesus has favorites, but it's all of us. It almost it seems like a mute point where he favors all of us. So who isn't favored? All of us are favored. And we see that in the announcement of his birth, the shepherds, the poorest among them, are favored. Then the king will say, this is uh, when someday we'll face our Lord with the life that we've lived and how we've served him. The king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whoever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. When you and I step into a needy situation, doesn't mean we take care of every needy situation. Jesus didn't take care of every single need, but he also didn't look the other way at every single need. When you and I serve others, and yes, sometimes we will be taken advantage of. If you don't want to be taken advantage of, then you will never serve anybody. So the danger is, yes, I'm going to represent Christ's love, I'm going to show his heart to others, and that means sometimes I will be taken advantage of. But the alternative is not to love on anyone, and then you're never taken advantage of. In a book that a number of us are reading by Eugene Peterson, Run with the Horses, there was this quote just recently, biblical faith however, has always insisted that there are no special aptitudes for a life with God. No required level of intelligence, are we thankful for that, or degree of morality, no particular spiritual experience. The statement, I'm not the religious type, is inadmissible. There are no religious types. There are only human beings, everyone created for a, for a relationship with God that is personal and eternal. 
if we're going to look at four categories, if you will, but you might come up with five, you might come up with six when you think about the shepherds. It doesn't matter what the category is. It doesn't matter where they fall in their thinking, who they are. God favors all of us. He favors all of us in this room. There's no category that gets you out. The only category is ignoring the call when it's given to you, when God lays it on your heart to follow him, when the desire to say yes to him is there, Holy Spirit generated, created, and you turn that down regularly. That's the only way. You're out. But if the Spirit speaks to your heart, doesn't matter where you're coming from. You're one of his favorites. So the four. Jesus also favors the messy. And that is the idea here. I put in here Messiah. And if you circle the first four letters, you get mess. It's not there in the original. I just saw it. And it makes me think, wow, Jesus does favor the messy. He's the Messiah. He comes alongside us. No matter what you're facing in your life, no matter how messy it is, no matter how many bad decisions you've made, financially, morally, whatever, relationally, you've created this mess in your life. Maybe it's been handed down from you. It's the rhythm of life you learned from your family and and that it's just it's just there it doesn't matter jesus favors the messy he came for the messy he came for you and i and unless there's a mess you don't need a messiah unless there's a problem you don't need a problem solver so jesus favors us all. And what's amazing about the shepherds is they knew they were messy. Americans, self-made, enough cash in their pocket to do most anything they want, don't see themselves as messy. That stays in their way. But the shepherds knew they were messy. And all of us in those quiet moments, not to beat ourselves, no, we don't have it all together. That's a danger on a Sunday morning. We all come in here, we all look good, we smell good, most of us, and uh, that's false. No one can see in our hearts. And we shouldn't necessarily wear it all on our sleeves either. But we're all messy. And until you come to terms with that, you don't need a Messiah. 700 years earlier, a prophet named Isaiah writes these words, projecting ahead to the Messiah. And I I encourage you, and we're not going to go there, but things like Isaiah 53 talks about a suffering Savior a dying on the cross, all these kinds of things, not just the cross directly, but all the imagery is there, and you go, how could someone predict something 700 years in the future? There's 
lots of prophecies like that in the Older Testament. There's more prophecies like that in the Older Testament. If you were going to give it a fair shake, the odds of that are astronomical. I read somewhere where uh, it was like four million to one or something crazy. You'd be you'd be better off, you know, buying uh, mega box tickets every week because your chances of scoring and winning is greater than these um, Old Testament passages, you know, pointing to Christ. So we read this in Isaiah, 700 years earlier. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just look at that mighty God. That would be blasphemy in the Older Testament. No one who's born is God. That's some of the reason why the Pharisees thought they could crucify Jesus because he made claims of being deity. Sorry, that gets you killed. So it's amazing that Isaiah includes that God-inspired in his description of this child that is born, the son that will be given that changes everything. I'll take a look at uh, two of these uh, characteristics that directly connect with the idea of messy. First of all is wonderful counselor. The word, John chapter 1, verse 14, referring to Jesus. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Became human. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, glory recognizing God, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I don't know about you, but I need a wonderful counselor in my life. I need one that speaks to my heart, that cuts through all the baloney. All the excuses, all the, yeah, da, 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 this is why, this is, and cuts through it and says, this is what's going on. I don't need a, a person that's just patting me on the back and, oh, you'll make it through this. You're a good person, you know, stroking me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, need, I need a counselor that sometimes has teeth. I, I need that. I need real, not fake, not gentleness towards it's so sappy and and it just doesn't really say anything wonderful counselor also there's this expression prince of peace i when i think of isaiah making a pronouncement about the future i would want a prince of war a warrior not a prince of peace think of this we think of jesus saying i'm leaving you well and whole that's my parting gift to you when he ascends back to heaven before he returns again peace i don't leave you the way you're used to feeling left feeling abandoned bereft so don't be upset don't be distraught for those of us who know the rest of the story he promises to leave us this counselor this holy spirit 
spirit. And those of us who have said yes to Christ, have him join our life. God connects to the li- our life through the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells with us. He never lives us, leaves us. We have the Prince of Peace inside us. When you think of pr- peace, when you think of shalom, it's not just the absence of conflict. It's, it's instead of conflict, there's wholeness. It's this idea of may you be healthy, whole, complete, and know where you fit in the universe while finding tranquility there. That sounds like mumbo-jumbo words at first. But would you be healthy, not physically, but spiritually, emotionally? Would you feel whole? Would you feel complete, complete in your identity in Christ? To know where you fit in the universe is another way of saying what your purpose is, why God has you on planet Earth now. And while you're being who he's made you to be, would you find tranquility? Would you be at peace even when the storm is raging around you? Some of us have heard that little story. The only reason boats don't sink is when there's no water inside the boat. So a boat can be in a storm, and as long as no water gets in the boat, it will not sink. I'm sure there's a lot more going on than that, but that's the way I've heard it. And the same thing is true for us when we know the Prince of Peace. We can actually keep the storm outside of our lives because he's in the inner life, even though we're bobbing around. What role then do the angels have? Oh, I think this is from last week somehow, sorry. <laughs> and then there's also this idea when we apply peace, we have peace with God. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, makes us fit for him, we have peace with God because of our master Jesus. This is going to sound a little harsh, but if you've said yes to Christ and your life is missing peace, we need to ask where our relationship is with God. We should be able to live in peace. Yes, it may drift a little bit, but our balancing, our point, our center should be peace because we have peace with God. When you and I don't experience peace, I have to ask myself, where have I gone off the rails? It's a good warning light in my life. When peace is is not there, that means something's up with my relationship with God. That's the first place I have to look. And sometimes that means I have to hunker down and find those psalms where David refers to God being his rock, his castle, his fortress, his hiding place, his safe place. And I have to revisit that. In a verse in 10 seconds doesn't get me back there. It takes a little time to reorient myself. And it's worth it. Sometimes it takes an hour. Sometimes it takes it longer. Sometimes it takes a few days or weeks because it's just 
seems to be out of reach, and I need to get back in sweet, close fellowship with God. So the Prince of Peace gives us peace with God, also peace with others. Hard to believe you and I can have peace with others, especially if they're Christ followers. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree, but if you cannot tolerate the other person, you are not living with the Prince of Peace. He's checked out in that area because you've checked out in that area. Paul says this, if it's possible, on your behalf, if you can make it possible, if you can extend the olive branch, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Let God set someone else's heart straight. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Trust God to settle those kinds of things. But when it depends on us, as far as it depends on us, we need to be at peace. And sometimes it's just being at peace with God and saying, I'm leaving that person in your hands. I'm not going to work behind the scenes and orchestrate things. When I hear a story that's not 100%, I'm not going to always go track it down to make my position, my whatever seem right. I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Kids talk a lot about how to do that in situations. Uh, you, know, you know, when, when uh, a marriage is breaking up, don't speak ill of the other, pa- the other parents. Don't do that. And where those things are accurate, that will be discovered. You're leaving that in the hands of the other person or, or the situation. But don't do that. Leave it in God's hands. Leave it in God's hands. And we could go down, church things, leave it in God's hands. Don't have to chase people down. Next one, and some of us, you know, say, yeah, I've got peace with God. I've pretty much got peace with others. Obviously, these things are a work in progress. But how about peace with ourselves? doesn't mean you settle for sloppiness in your life. It doesn't mean you don't be who God wants you to be. But it means peace with ourselves. So be content with who you are. Don't put on airs. Don't pretend to be somebody else. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you. He'll, he'll, he'll let you be seen for who you are at the right time. Live careful before God because he is most careful with you. Are you at peace with yourself? You have forgiveness, the shepherd stuff and all of that. You can be at peace with yourself. Jesus also favors the forgotten. The shepherds could have easily been the forgotten people in this great announcement. It could have gone everywhere else and the shepherds don't hear about it for weeks later because they're out doing shepherding stuff. I mean, have you ever been forgotten? Have you felt the pain of that? I remember I was five years old the first time I was forgotten. I'm looking at the guy who forgot me. (laughs) It was a Sunday at church. 
My brother was homesick. My mother stayed home too. Dad brought me to church. After church, dad went home. Left me at a church. Church was 15 minutes from the house. Mom actually saw dad drive into the driveway and all of a sudden immediately turned around and went back. As she was on the phone with the pastor from the church saying, David's here and he's crying. Phil, I think, forgot him. Still scarred by that wound. at dinner time today anyway <laughs> you have searched me lord and you know me you know when i sit and when i rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all my ways for you have created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb Read all of Psalm 139, and you're going to see that God has not forgotten you. Not forgotten you. Before you even formed in your mother's womb, before you existed, God knew you. And he was a part of that process. That's why a group of people like us are so pro-life, because that life, God knows should be given the opportunity to be born and live. Not forgotten. Also, Jesus favors the guilty. And if you haven't gotten it yet, that includes everyone in this room. We are all guilty. The shepherds knew it. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, reminds them for all have sinned, all have missed the mark of God, and have fallen short of the glory of God. We all live lives that are self-centered, and God is not recognized in them because we're so uh, warped and whatever and nasty at times. And, oh, this is not a feel-good message right now, but uh, that's the way it is. Sometimes I'm surprised at the nastiness that arises from my soul and my heart and uh, and I'm very thankful when I keep it inside and say, ooh, that was bad. I don't want to do that. I want to change. I don't want to act that way. I don't even want those thoughts and those ideas to bubble to the surface. I don't want them to be in there. Change me, God. But all of us have fallen short. Even that little child, the minute they are self-aware of themselves. I can remember a couple of my kids. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they would look and move the other direction. They knew. Didn't have to teach them that. And if we're not careful, that's our way we interact with our Heavenly Father for the rest of our lives. We kind of know, look back, and see if he's going to get us. <laughs> We think it's worth the price or it'll let it kind of slide. We go on our way. But Jesus favors the guilty. That's why he came. He wouldn't need to come. And until you and I realize there's some guilt, there's some sin, there's some disobedience, and we need to be redeemed, then that's just a nice story for kids. Even our best isn't good enough 
All of us have become like the one who is unclean. All And all of our righteousness, righteous acts are like filthy rags. We're all shriveled up like a leaf, like the wind. Our sins sweep us away. We need a Savior. That's why when the angels said, For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord, they rejoiced. Have you rejoiced? Are you rejoicing? Is it always a part of your thinking or often a part of your thinking that I have a Savior? So how do we answer? How how do the favorites answer such a favoritism shown by God? Seeing was believing. The shepherds told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. They returned to their flock ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him for all they had heard and had seen for themselves, just like the angel said. So part of this is believing, saying yes to Christ, placing your trust in this little baby who would grow and grow and be that perfect sacrificial lamb for our sins that would die for us so that we could be right with God. Putting our trust, the weight of our life, in on him. They believed. They didn't have the full story, but they believed this was the Messiah, and they would discover what that really meant as time went on. So what did they do? They told others. And they just didn't tell people with their actions. They just didn't clean up their act a little bit. They told others with their words. Likewise, yes, you need to live a life of credibility. Please live a life of credibility. You're representing Christ. You're either a good representative or not so good representative. And that, that, that's half the battle. But we also need to sometimes express why our actions are the way they are. And we need to tell others. And they told basically everyone. They told folks as they met them what the angels had said. wonder how long it took for that to wear off or if it didn't wear off. I would like to say that for most of those shepherds, it was a story that they told for the rest of their lives. And then they returned to their work, where they lived, where they played, what they did. And likewise, when you and I place our trust in Christ and we tell others we ought to return to what God has made us to be, doing our job, living our purpose, whatever that may be, and return there and then be that witness. And as we return there, we praise and we glorify in the way we just lived. And that's always on our mind, always on the tip of our tongue. Appropriate ways to praise God Appropriate ways so that people recognize that God has touched us, that God has changed us, that his story has now become our story. We've joined it. We've joined it. 
so I share this verse every once in a while with you because it's a part of my basically daily routine. So how do we incorporate this? For me, I'm a morning person. You may not be a morning person, so pick your perfect time, your best time. But for me, it's morning. And so I think about this. I actually have this written down every morning. God, you hear me at it again. Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for heaven to descend. What in the world does that mean? The fire to descend is where God speaks to my heart. I give my life to him, give my day to him. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it does. I'm right off the altar because it's hot on the altar. It's hard on the barbecue. I'm on there. Ooh, it's getting a little too hot. I'm getting off. Uh, hopefully I stay on it more often. I'm on the altar. I'm giving my life to him, and I watch for him to show up. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases, translates um, Luke 12. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provision. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. Sometimes I'm afraid of missing out. But don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom himself, itself. Do you believe God wants to, in a sense, give you the kingdom? Again, that's a whole nother sermon, what that means. But he wants to give us the best. So don't worry about missing out. Seek God. Putting this all together, offering or offer your life's pieces to God, and God will offer your life peace. It's a regular thing. It's not a one and done thing. Sometimes it's a few times a day thing. Some of you are struggling in this moment. You say, my life is messy. I feel poor. My resources are tapped out. I feel God's forgotten me. And I see some of this might even be my problem. And I feel guilty. That's who the baby came for. That's who the baby says, you are my favorite. The angel said that. Don't let that stump you. Offer the pieces, the fragments of your life to God, and he will offer you the peace that we so desperately need in our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gift of your son. I love the passage that was read when the Advent, that you didn't go all the way to sending your son just to point an accusing finger at the world, but you came to set it right and set it right one heart at a time, and we desperately need that. Each and every one of us regularly need to put our lives on the altar, our pieces, and wait for you to show up. We thank you that you promised to do that. We thank you that you went to the lowest of the low, the least of these, to pronounce the announcement of favor on man and peace in goodwill. May we enjoy that. May the story of Christmas be the reality of our life, not just a precious moment. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name.